For those of you who don't know, my name is John Crawford. I have the awesome privilege of serving the campus ministry in Athens, Georgia. Alongside my beautiful wife, who said a prayer earlier. Guys, and, and this has been an awesome, awesome time. To be at the retreat, guys, to, to get away from everyday life, to come and spend time with other disciples worshiping and praising our God. And we've been able to learn a lot about David and David's heart for God and how much he loved our God. And guys, I, I honestly, after everything I've heard this weekend, and after Jayla getting up here and sharing her story, honestly, I don't even need to preach right now. We, we could be done. We could all get in our cars, we could all go home, and we could all go back to our lives and loving people and being like Jesus, because this retreat has already been awesome. Okay? And so as I, as I speak today, I'm probably not going to shed any light on anything you've probably never heard before. We're just going to talk about our God. And we're going to talk about David's life and how he gave his life over to God. And the reality is that I loved the communion. Do you, how often do we think about heaven? How often do we think about the fact that Jesus died for us, and when we repented of our sins and got baptized, that God promised us. He sealed us with his Holy Spirit and said, you know what? Because of that decision to repent of your sins and to live for me, you will live in paradise with me. How often do we think about our name being written in the book of life? That is awesome. And that is a promise that honestly we don't deserve because we all are sinful people. But our God is an amazing God and he loves us so much. In Genesis chapter one, you don't have to turn there if you don't want, if you don't want to. In verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, in the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. The reality is we are the only creation that God decided to create in his image. What an honor. What a privilege that is to be created in your creator's image. That every part of our being was intended to be like God. To be made in his image. That we were intended to have a heart like our God. And the reality is, since the fall of creation... Since Adam and Eve made that decision in the garden, our hearts have not been the same since. And we need to get back to having the heart that our God intended for us to have. A heart that was totally and utterly dependent on Him and who He was and being our sustenance throughout our lives. Let's pray to God before we go any further. Father, it is such an honor to be your disciple. Father, it's an honor to know the truth. Father, and to live 
for you. God, I know life can be tough. God, life throws so many things at us, Father. God, in the world has watered down what Christianity is supposed to be. God, we no longer want to stand by and allow that to be the case. Father, we want to be bold men and women. We want to be strong men and women who have the faith, who have the courage, who have the heart to be as you call us to be. Father, you tell us that we will do even greater things than your son Jesus. Father, let us remember that. Let us be the generation that lives that out and that we can serve you. Father, thank you. We love you. Please allow your Holy Spirit to move at this time and remove me out of the way. We pray all this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You know, the title of this lesson is King of Hearts. In the whole retreat, we've been focusing on that. The King of Hearts. That our God is the King of our hearts. But also that David was the only man to have been known to have a, a heart after God. You know, we need to really reevaluate our lives. We really need to reevaluate our hearts and ask ourselves, who or what is sitting at the throne of our hearts? Is it something materialistic? Something temporary? Is it God? God should always be at the center of our hearts. You know, most of us in here have lived probably 18 to maybe 35 years of life. And I know that many of us have faced some trials. Even hearing that conversion story, but that was wise. I appreciate that sister and her vulnerability to get up here and to share about her life the way that she did. That was really impactful. But the reality is, guys, is that sin complicates things. And that our world is complicated because of sin. And our lives, we face trials day in and day out. If you would, make your way over to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 24 and 27. Jesus' words read, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You know, Jesus is speaking, and he's telling people, he's telling his followers, his listeners, that life is hard. That life 
is not easy by any means. That they will face trials. And that they will come in life. That they can be assured of that. And you know, as we, as we dissect the passage, no matter what foundation the people had, whether it was in the rock or it was in the sand, the circumstances were the same. The storm still came. They still faced hard times in life. The stream still rose. It wasn't like, okay, my, my foundation's in the rock, everything's good now, I'll never face another trial. No, life is still complicated. You know, we may ask ourselves, man, we have moments in life where we feel weak. Am I the only one, or, or, or can you guys relate? We can have moments in life where we feel so weak. It can be physically. Man, you, some of us are in here battling health issues, mental health issues, physical health issues. These are trials. These are storms. These are things that happen in life. You know, when I think about my own life, people I love and hold dearly have walked away from the faith. Have walked away from God. My, my older brother, who was an influence in my life, who helped me to become a disciple, has walked away from God. That is hard. That is rough. The people we love dearly, we don't want to see that. But that is some of the trials that come with life. Loved ones have died. People we hold close to our heart and cherish have died. These are just some of the things that go on in life. But the thing is, in this scripture, if your foundation is in the sand, you will face all those trials and you will fall on your face. Because your foundation is not strong. If it is in anything else but God, in his word, you will fall and fail. But if your foundation is in the rock, like this scripture says, if it is in Jesus and his words, because Jesus has lived life, he's the only man I know that lived a perfect life. He's the only man I know that has risen from the dead. Jesus knows how to conquer life. So if we want to be people that conquer life, we need to be in God. Our foundation needs to be in God. That includes our mind, our emotions, and our desires. They need to be in God. And that's what we see David did. In Psalm 119. Verses 9 through 11. This is what David writes. And this is after David has gone through a lot of his life and experienced a lot of things that he has experienced. And, and we've learned about a lot of those things this weekend, about some of the trials that David has faced in his life. And in Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11, he says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stay or stray from your commands. I have hidden your word 
in my heart that I might that I might not sin against you. This is what David said about God. David got to a place where he realized, man, I need to depend on God with all my strength, with all my mind, with all my emotions. Man, our emotions can deceive us. I know there was a class taught on that, and I heard only great things about it. But our emotions, a lot of times, can be contradicting to what God's Word is telling us. And David had moments where he was dealing with that. But he had to realize, he had to submit himself to God. Oftentimes he prayed. Oftentimes he, he, he was able to just sit and meditate on God's law. And he was able to surrender himself to God. And we, no matter where we are in life, whether we are disciples of Jesus, and we've repented of our sins and have been baptized, or whether we haven't even made that decision yet, we all need to submit to God and to have our hearts changed by Him. You know, when we, when we reflect on the things that we've learned so far this week, we've learned about our imperfections. That imperfections lie within all of us. That David was a man that committed adultery. You know, Jordan brought the hammer down on Friday night about us and our lives and our sin and how we have to be people of character, people of heart who want to be righteous and who want to clear ourselves before God. You know, David messed up. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he even lied and killed one of his best friends to try and cover it up. Talk about imperfection. Talk about being a man who had, who's sinful. We see that that's where David was, and yet he still was considered a man after God's own heart. We've been able to see, man, who are we without God? Ask yourself that question. Who are you without God? You know, I think it's very crucial in our discipleship to remember who we were before Jesus. To remember the things that entangled us, the sin, the lifestyle that we lived, the things that were a priority in our lives. Because without God, we are lost people. We have no sense of identity or hope. And this was me in my life. Despite growing up a kingdom kid, I was lost. I was a good person, but tell, I'm telling you, it's not just good enough to be a good person to get into heaven. You know, that, that's, that's what I thought. Man, I'll, show, I'll go on all these mission trips. I'll show up to church. I'll even be the leader of my team ministry. But I was a man who was insane. I was a man who was getting drunk. A man who was doing drugs. A man who was living an impure life. A man who was prideful. And yes, I had my own, my own hurt in which I was trying to fill a void. But ultimately, God was the only one that could fill that void. And I, and, I, and I realized that. Man, when I was studying the Bible, that's when I came to the realization like, man, I'm a messed up person. And I need God. Guys, we got to remember that. Not only for ourselves, but for the sake of the rest of the world. Yeah. There are people on our campuses hurting. Yeah. 
There are people who are suffering from mental health issues, who are suffering from alcoholism, who are suffering from pornography and, and all these addictions, and, and they need God. And we gotta, we got to remember, we got to ask ourselves, man, where was I at one point in life? And now how has my life changed because someone saw me worthy of their time? Because someone saw me worthy to stop and have a conversation about the creator of the universe. And now look where we are. We have to remember who we are without God. We must be willing to humble ourselves before God. You know, in Psalm 51, we know that, that David cries out to God. I'm turning there. Give me a second. Sorry. In Psalm 51, he cries out to God. He says, God, create in me a pure heart, oh God, and renew in me a steadfast spirit. Man, that is quite the request. You know, David was a man who realized, man, I have fallen, God, and, and I need to humble myself before you. I need to submit myself before you. Because I am nothing but a little man. And I need you. And I need your strength. We have to be people that when we make mistakes, do we have the courage to cast ourselves on the mercy of God? Or do we simply run away? That's a testament of your courage. That's a testament of your character on what kind of integrity you have, when you make a mistake, are you quick? Are you quick to get in the light? Are you quick to confess to God and say, God, help me. I don't want to live like this any longer. I need you. We've learned that. You know, we had our man Cody come up here and, and talk about God and who God is. Yep. Who is our God? That he is a God who has a character of compassion, of grace, a God that is slow to anger and abounding in love, who is faithful, who is forgiving, but also just. That that is our God. And if you don't know that God, and if you don't know that that's God's character, get in your word. Study out who God is. Because the reality is, don't even take, don't just take me on my word and what I say. Because that's the issue with a lot of churches in today's day and age. People will take what an evangelist or a preacher say and say, oh, that, that must be true. But you need to find out what God's word says for yourself. Read it. It is worth your time. We talked about how God deserves our adoration, our praise our submission. And God is a God of redemption. Yeah. That's why we're all here. Because God is a God of redemption. Yeah. And he sees you. You individually. He sees you as worthy. Worthy of redeeming. And that was through his son Jesus. And so now if you would, turn over to 1 Samuel. Chapter 15. Let's go, John. Come on, John. Holy water. 
Alright, now before we jump in to the story of David and Goliath, we're going to, oh yes, we're talking about David and Goliath. We're going to talk about who was king before David. And it was a man named Saul. Okay? And Saul was a good king. But Saul's downfall was he got prideful and he got arrogant. And if we're not careful, this can be us. You know, Jordan, he read that scripture about the Pharisee who, when, when he went up to praise God, he was, he was judging the tax collector. He was comparing himself to the tax collector. And we got to be careful because we can be prideful, arrogant people. So we got to make sure we check our hearts as well. But Saul, like I said, he was a good king. Okay. And, and God tells Saul, he says, Saul. I want you to do something for me. I want you to go and I want you to destroy the Amalekites, okay? And I want you to destroy everything that belongs to them. Kill women, children, men, their king, their cattle, all of it. I want you to wipe them out. Okay, that's the command that God gives him. But in 1 Samuel... Chapter 15, verse 17. This is what we're just going to pick up real quick. It says, Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you not? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. The best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at uh, Gilgal. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in, observe, uh, in, as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And so we see that, man, Saul was a good king, and he gets this command from God to go wipe out the Amalekites. And he goes, and he does so, but he doesn't kill everybody. He takes the king. He takes the best sheep, the best livestock, because he wanted to sacrifice it to his God. But then he gets told, why didn't you obey? And he's like, I did obey. I mean, didn't I? I? I did these things, although I didn't obey to completion. I, I still obeyed, right? And, and he's like, no, you didn't. And you know what? The thing is, is that our God desires obedience. 
He desires complete obedience. End of discussion. He wasn't going to sit there and have a conversation with Saul about, oh, you're right. You had a good heart. You wanted to sacrifice these to me. No, that's not what he said. He said, you did not obey me. End of discussion. This reminds me of a story when, man, uh, my, my family, my dad was in the military for 20 years. He was a Marine. And so we moved around a lot. And we were living in North Carolina uh, at one point. I think Camp June. And uh, uh, it was me, my mom, and my siblings. And we're, we're sitting at home. And I knew my dad was going to be coming home soon, okay? And my, my mom wasn't sure when my dad was going to get home. And so she gave all of us this command. She said, I'm going to go shower. Do not open the door for anybody. That's what she said. She said, don't open the door for anybody. We're like, oh, okay. All right. But it's getting late at night, and, and, and I see a car pull into the driveway. I'm young, okay? Keep this in mind. I'm like, maybe like five years old or something. Okay, and I see a car pull into the driveway, and I realize it's my dad's car. And I haven't seen my dad in a little bit, so I'm like excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, my dad's home. Like, I'm going to go open the door and welcome him, okay? And so he's walking up to the door, and I run, and I open the door, and surely it's my dad, okay? And I'm like, oh, dad, like I give him a hug. It's good to see him. But then my mom gets out of the shower. Uh-oh. And, and she comes, and she's talking to my dad, and I think she asks him, like, oh, how'd you get in? He's like, oh, John let me in. And she looks at me. And I'm like, sure, surely. I'm not going to be in trouble. I mean, it was my dad knowing got hurt. Like, everything was okay. Man, I got whooped. I got whooped, okay? True story. I got whooped. And, the, and the, my mom said, you didn't obey. It, it doesn't matter who was at the door. You didn't listen to me. You didn't obey. And that's why I got in trouble. In that same story, God told Saul to obey and Saul didn't. It's as simple as that. He did not obey, and so God had to get rid of him. Yeah. And God was looking for a new king. And that new king, like many of us know, is David. And with that, I wanted to think, man, how quick are we to obey to completion? I think a lot of times we like to pick certain things in the Bible and say, I like that part of the Bible. Let me obey that one. That one, I'm having a hard time with that one. So I'm just going to scratch that one off the list. I don't need to obey that one. But God wants us to obey all of his word. We can't. This isn't a pick and choose what you want to follow. We decided to follow Jesus. We said Jesus is Lord when we got baptized. That meant following Jesus. That meant following his teachings and his commands. And Jesus tells us that what? We will know. He knows that we love us. If we, what, obey his teachings. We have to be people. We have to be men and women who desire to obey his teachings to completion. In 1 Samuel 17, if you would, the first point, I've only got two points, is a heart of trust and radical passion. We need to be people who have a heart of trust in radical passion. All right, bear with me. I'm going to read a lot of this, but I'm going to try and skip some of it. All right, 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. 
Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soka and Judah. They pitched camp in Ephes, Damon, between Soka and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his leg he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and, an, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. This is a bad man right here. It says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servant of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Okay, I'm going to skip a little bit. Now David was back home with his father, so he wasn't there. In verse 16 it says, For forty days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their units. See how your brothers are doing and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of uh, a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed him. So then David gets there. And, and there's a lot of talk going around town about this guy, Goliath, and all this trouble that he's stirring up. Okay? And now in verse 25, it says, Now the Israelites have been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who killed him. He will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is what David says. Just do you hear the passion behind those words? Do you hear what he's concerned about? He's concerned about God's people being living in fear, but he's concerned also that this person is disrespecting my God. He's disrespecting God's chosen people. Who is this man? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab 
David's oldest brother heard him speaking with him, and he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? Uh, he then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. So it's impressive. Saul's like, whoa, no one else this whole time has stepped up and said anything passionate like this. No one has questioned Goliath, but he hears about David, and so he sends for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear comes and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it down and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. We see that David has a heart for battle. Even in the eyes of adversity, Goliath, this guy is like nine feet tall. He has on all this armor. He is intimidated. And David is but a wee little man with a big heart for God. And you know, the truth is, in verse 16, it says, For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. That for 40 days, God's people, God's chosen people, allowed someone to come forward and disrespect their God. For 40 days, they said nothing. No one stood up to him. They were timid. They were fearful. They were concerned about themselves. That can be us. But we don't want that to be us. We want to have a heart like David. That the second David got there and heard the disrespect, he was filled with zeal for his God. Oftentimes, we can live in fear. We can live in fear of a lot of things in life. Wanting to be like the world. Wanting to blend in with the culture. But we must be men and women who are willing to stand up like David did. You know, we all have the same Goliath, if you think about it. Satan. Satan is our greatest Goliath. And Satan is the king of lies, and he doesn't want to see any of us succeed. Because he knows if he can get us to fail, if he can get us to drift from God, that is going to hurt God. And Satan's motive is always to hurt God. Satan is a spiritual giant in our lives that his only intention is to destroy us. Yep. 
And he uses different tools for all of us. Just like Goliath had his tools for battle. Man, Satan has his tools for battle. In all of our lives, we all have things that are, are, we struggle with. You know, when you think about on a college campus, some of the things we run into on a day-to-day basis that people are fighting, having to deal with, drugs, alcohol, you know, uh, sexual morality, impurity. These are all things that, that people are dealing with. And, and many of us are dealing with or have dealt with. But we have to be people who turn and rely on God. In verse 26, it says, David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David was filled with passion. You know, how often are you filled with that kind of passion for your God? For people who disrespect your God. I don't know if this happens on your campus, but on my campus, I see people who disrespect God all the time. They'll disrespect our God and, and they'll, they'll claim that they're Christians, but the way that they preach and teach is not the way that God would. We have people who claim that there is no God and they disrespect and spit on our God and say, why would you believe that you're a fool? We can't allow people to disrespect our God. We got to have passion. We got to have that. You know what? If no one else stands up, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to be the one to challenge what these people have to say. You know, when I was in high school, I was a sophomore, okay? And I, my brother, my older brother, his name is Sean. He was a senior. And I remember one time, um, I went to a pretty racist high school as well. Um, and so I remember one time I was in class. And this, this one guy, I was a disciple, okay, keep that in mind. So uh, there was one guy who was kind of like trying to pick on me, and I, and I wasn't having it. And so after class ended, we went outside, and I was at my locker. And for some reason, his friends thought it would be a good idea if he poked a hole in his water bottle and then sprayed my pants to make it look like I peed myself. And so he does that, and I didn't feel it, but one of my friends was like, hey, John, like he just sprayed you. And so I like, I was like, okay, I'm not going to let this guy think that he can push me around and bully me, so I got to stand up. And so I turned around, and I was like, hey, bro, like, why did you do that? I got in his face. You know, we started pushing each other. It was this altercation, okay? Uh, and then finally, things kind of calmed down, and I was like, you know what? You're not even worth my time. And so I start walking away. Here comes big brother around the corner, Sean, okay? And he, yeah, he, he kinda, he's, he's a big dude now. He wasn't that big back then, but he's a big dude now. But he comes around the corner. And one of my friends was like, yo, your brother almost got in a fight. Like, you wouldn't believe it. And Sean was like, what are you talking about? And so, like, they tell him. And so Sean walks up to this guy. And he's like, hey, you messing with my brother? And this man's like, he's like quivering. And he's like, he's like, no. And he's like, yeah, I better not. He's like, go shake his hand right now. And so the guy comes to me and he's like, bro, I'm so sorry. And I, he shakes my hand. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. I was like, Sean, you did the man like that. But, but he was passionate. He wasn't going to let no one mess with his little brother. He said, not on my watch, man. Anyone that tries to mess with my little brother, I'm going to have something to say to him. That's the kind of passion we've got to have for our God. That we're not going to let anyone mess with him. That we're going to stand up for him. We're going to give him the respect that he deserves. Because he is our God. And he loves us. 
You know, David's faith was born out of his experience of God's grace and mercy in his life. He brings up the fact that, man, God has delivered me before. Whenever a lion or a bear would come off and carry the sheep away, guess what? God was able to give me the power then to overcome and conquer. So why would he stop now? Because of his experience and putting his trust in God, he knew God's character. And he knew that he could trust in God's character. In verse 34 and 37 is, is where that happens. And you know, the Lord delivered him out of dangerous situations in the past. And God has done that for us. For those of us who have given our lives over to God, he has rescued us from our sins. When you think about it, we have nothing to lose. Jake was saying, man, we get to go to heaven. Do we live like men and women who have nothing to lose? Because of our God. And James, he tells us to consider it pure joy when we encounter trials. To consider it pure joy. Do we look at our trials in life like that? I'm pretty sure that David was a man that looked at his trials as pure joy. He was eager to go to battle. And then to have a heart of identity. You know, in verse 38, it says, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet in his hand. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried to walk around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. David did not require the typical items that people would use when they go into battle. Saul wanted to dress him in his armor. Saul wanted him to go as Saul would go. And David said, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm not used to this stuff. I can't go with this. This isn't what I'm used to battling with. You know, David wasn't solely committed to the resources at his disposal. He was committed to God. He wasn't committed to the armor to the bronze helmet, to the sword. He was committed to the fact that all I need is my God. When I hunted down those lions, when I took care of those bears, I didn't have any of these resources. I had my trust and my faith in God. And God delivered me. We got to make sure that we're not people who just depend on the resources. We can't be people who are solely just committed to the church organization. Mm. A lot of times we look at the church organization and we're like, the church organization has a direct influence on my spirituality. How well I do is based on the church organization. And that can't be where our heart is. Our heart is supposed to be for God. God alone. Put our trust in God. Because the reality is, you know, your, your leaders... They are sinful people as well. Yeah. Their armor will begin to crack because we all have things in our character that we're continuing to work on. Do not solely put your trust in your leaders. Put it in God. Put it in the creator of the universe because he is perfect 
And only He can give you a new heart and a perfect heart. Come on, John. We must be committed to a deep trust in God. And we see that that's what David was. He was committed to a deep trust in God. And, and then once he went out for battle, he grabbed his five rocks, he grabbed his slingshot, and he met David on the, or he met Goliath on the battlefield. And he conquered over him. He conquered over his Goliath. Be secure to go as God has you. Be secure to go to God and understand that God can mold me and create me to be what he wants me to be. Yeah. But be a person who's devoted to God's word and to prayer. You know, David is called a man after God's own heart because he had absolute faith in God. He's a, he's a man after God's own heart because he absolutely loves and cherished God's law. And his word. Start there. If you don't know where to start, start there. And God will change your life. You know, in closing, I want to ask a couple questions. If you could not, if you couldn't ever lose, what would you do with your life? Ask yourself that question. If God told you, man, you could never lose, what would you do with your life? What kind of opportunities would you take up? What would your outlook be on challenges? When you face challenging times in life, what about your faith and your confidence? Would that increase? What, what would that look like? If victory was certain, how different would your faith and your discipleship look? Would you be more zealous like David? Yep. Would you be more zealous for sharing the good news and understanding that there are lost souls out there that need God? Yeah. Would there be no hesitation in taking giant leaps of faith? Things that we look at with our human eyes and we say that is impossible, but with God it's possible. Oh, Would we have that kind of faith? Would we be eager to stand up for our God? And confront those who disrespect his name. Eager to get open about our sins and the things that we struggle with. Standing up for conviction and righteousness, even if we're the only ones to do so. If you couldn't ever lose, how would you live your life? Many of us want these awesome victories. Many of us look at the story of David and we're like, man, I want that. I want to be a man. I want to be a woman who has a heart like that. And we're ready to go to war. All of us in here crave to be victorious. But some of us aren't even on the winning side yet. We want these victories, but we're fighting against Jesus. We're opposing God. Don't leave here without joining the winning side. Don't leave here without saying, Jesus, I'm going to give my life to you. I want the victories. I want to be on the winning side. I want to go to heaven one day. Do not leave here without doing so. Because Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh, skin and bone, blood, was poured out for us. A man died 
for us so that we could be on the winning team. Make that decision today to be on the winning team. Make that decision when you go home to continue to be on the winning team and to help others to come to the winning team. And do not let Jesus' death go in vain. To God be the glory, guys. Yeah.